Turn with me to the book of James chapter 2. James chapter 2. When you have it, say amen. All right, whether it's your smartphone or your, or you have a physical Bible out, I just encourage everybody to pull it out. If you don't have one, look at your neighbor. Say, hey, share with me here this morning. James chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 8 and 9 of this passage. And last Sunday we kicked off this series. We're going to be preaching it through January with the exception of Pursuit Weekend. But it's this idea of just do it. Just do it. Have you ever heard of that phrase, just do it? Nike went from being um, an $8 million company to a $9.2 billion company just with those three words. And I think because it speaks to the heart, it, it, it doesn't even hardly need an explanation. It speaks to that heart of, you know, procrastination, but really even fear, shame, condemnation. In other words, that... Uh, God is, in this book of James, really over and over again, James is saying, just do something. Uh, just do it. You hear, you know, take the word and do it. In fact, I've heard it said this way, the only word that you actually believe is the word that you act on. You may say, well, I believe the Bible. I believe God's word. But how much of it are you actually acting on? How much of it do you really practice because we really only practice what we believe. Amen? And there, may be, and there may be times where you may say, you know what, I'm having a hard time believing this, but I'm going to step out and practice it and see what happens. And you'll find that when you step out and just do it, that's where the revelation comes from. That's where the freedom comes from. Um, it's, it's when you, the Bible says, to know the truth is to be free. It's actually when you step out and experience it or do it that you're like, wow, I didn't understand it until now. I didn't realize that this was the actual benefit to acting on God's word. And, and there's things in here, even, you know, I spoke earlier about tithing and offering. You know, some may say, well, that's hard to believe. Well, until you do it, will you even get it? Until you take a step and act on it, will you even begin to reap the benefits of it? That's just one area. But James here, he's all about action. He, he, and, and we'll see the common theme is faith without works is dead. It's like a body without a pulse. It's a corpse that is without a pulse. You can pinch that body. You can, you can make faces of that body, but it's dead. It will not react. He says here, but when you incorporate works, in other words, action into your faith, you'll find the full expression of God's work being accomplished in your life. Amen? And so, in James chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we're going to look at the whole chapter, but I'm going to highlight these two verses. It says, Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. Quote, You must love and love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice... You commit sin, and you violate this royal law of love. And so today, the title of this message I'm calling it is, Faith Doesn't Play Favorites. Tell your neighbor, faith doesn't play favorites. 
It doesn't discriminate. Amen. In fact, that's my first point. Faith doesn't play favorites. In verse 1, James tells us, he's, he's talking to this church. Uh, in, in verse 1 of this chapter, he, he opened up by, even in chapter 1, saying, my brothers and sisters, he says, fellow believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, how could we say that we have faith in him and yet we favor one group of people over another? In other words, he says, how can we be practicing faith when we discriminate? Whether it's rich versus poor, whether it's black versus white versus brown, whether it's English versus Spanish, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, Asian versus American, he says, how can we in, say we're operating by faith if we are discriminating? And what does it go back to? That there's a phrase there, he says, fellow believers, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says that in, the, in that phrase, in our glorious Lord, it literally means in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of Jesus. In other words, in the presence of Jesus, we are all the same. In the presence of Jesus, there's neither rich nor poor, black nor white. There, there, there is neither bond or slave, as, as it would say in this passage. He's saying here that uh, there's just no room for it. And in, the, and in this particular case, he was addressing rich versus poor. He was addressing when, he says, when a rich person walks in to the church and a poor person walks in. In other words, someone who seemingly has it all together versus someone who does not walk in. Who do we prefer first? When we're leaving church on a Sunday morning and we're mixing and mingling with people on the way out the door and we prefer to hang out with this person, say, we, because of, they seem to have it all together versus this person, then are we walking by faith? Does that make sense? In other words, he says, oftentimes we'll give us a seat of honor to the individual who seems to have it all going for them versus the individual off the street. Amen? Uh, you know, we at Hermiston Assembly, you know, I've said this often, is that how can we reach our city if we don't reflect our city? How can we, how can we say we love our city, rich, poor, black, brown, white, English, Spanish, Asian, how can, we, how can we say we love our city if we don't reflect our city? It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what color is your skin. It doesn't matter what, what social status and life you are in at this moment in your life. Everyone is welcome in God's presence. Amen? And so James here, he's, he's going after, he's saying you can't, we can't do that. We can't stand in the presence of God and prefer one's face over another. In other words, that no matter where you live and no matter who you uh, think you are in Christ, if, it is, if there is discrimination, it could be on the job. It could be in the neighborhood. It could be anywhere you go. In other words, that you will love everybody the same. No matter what they look like, even age, whether you're young versus old, it's interesting how we gravitate to our age groups. 
But that's not faith. Faith does not discriminate based on age. Well, they're too young for me. Well, they're too old for me. No. He says, listen, I want you to love everybody the same. We all have something to contribute to the body of Christ. He says, because in, in doing so, we're actually casting judgment on other individuals. We're actually, we're profiling, if I can use that word. You know, we're making a judgment based on their appearance or based on who they are, even before we get to know them. But James says here, we cannot discriminate one against another. You know, what if, uh, I'm going to speak to the teenagers here. What if a Justin Bieber walked in the room right now and sat down right here? I'm sure all the seats right around him would get full real quick. Or a Tiger would, if he were to come in and have a seat, we'd be saying, oh, come, sit over here. This is the best spot. But then what if Jesus walked in the room? What if he was standing in here? Then all of that would be like nothing. All of that would be, it would be irrelevant. You know? Um, sometimes we idolize people in the world, but understand this, they have nothing on you if they don't know Jesus. They have no advantage. The word says, even if, you know, it says, it talks about the riches of this world. You can have all the riches of the world and still lose your own soul. And so in, in all reality, it, the greatest riches that there are is knowing Christ. And that when we come into his presence, it doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter what your background is. What matters is, is that we're all the same in the body of Christ. Galatians 3.28 says it this way. We no longer see each other in our former state. And he's talking to Jewish people. He says Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female. Because we are all through our own union with Jesus. With, we have no distinction between us. We're all the same. We are all valued in his presence. Amen? My second point is this. Faith practices the law of love and liberty. Faith practices the law of love and liberty. Verse 8, I, I read this earlier. Your calling is to fulfill the, the royal law of love. And as given to us in Scripture, you must love and value your neighbor as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate this royal law of love. Verse 12. So we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. And remember that judgment is merciless to the one who judges without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. In other words, when it comes to the believer, when it comes to us as in our walk with God, the law that we're to live by is the law of liberty or the law of love. In other words, to show the love of... How do we know the love of Christ when we have... We know the love of Christ because he first loved us. We experience him. To experience Jesus is to experience his love. To focus on him, to focus on the law of liberty. You know, if, the, the word tells us if we're focusing on works in and of themselves, 
then if we break one commandment, we've broken them all. But he says here, but if you will gaze into the law of liberty, if you will be obsessed with your walk with Jesus Christ, he says, then you're going to operate out of love. And there will be no partiality in it. How many of you ever said this? How many of you ever said to someone, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you? Is that love? Certainly not. Certainly not. In fact, like actually carries a, a stronger, a stronger, uh, uh, how should I say it? It's actually a stronger word than just love. In other words, it doesn't matter how you treat me, I'm still going to love you. Uh, love does not change. Think about this. Love, does not, love is not fickle. It does not change. 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't keep record of accounts. It's not like, oh, there you go. I'm going to write that one down. You don't, say, do, you don't say to your spouse, do you remember on June 3rd, 19... Uh, 93 that you said this to me it doesn't keep account it doesn't keep a log of offenses in fact if anything love the bible says love covers up a multitude of sin in other words it forgives it it forgets it it releases it and so when it comes to this this royal law of love god says here if you're not operating in it then you're operating in partiality and partiality violates that love. In fact, it says partiality is sin. Liberty, think about it this way, liberty begets more liberty. James chapter 125, we read it last week. It says, those who, are, who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by it and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. I love where it says in chapter 1, it says, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word. We talked about the a natural mirror versus the mirror of God's word. When you gaze into the mirror of God's word, you perceive everything that God thinks and says about you. And so when we get into God's word and we have, a, and we have intimacy with him, as the word says here in James, it says we are fascinated by it. In other words, every time we open up the word, we're like, oh my goodness, God, did you, did you say this about me? Is this your will for me? Is this you, what you think about me? And not only are we fascinated by it, but then we're strengthened by it. In other words, every time you commit an act of love, every time you act in faith, God, God's word promises, I will give you strength. In other words, his reward, if you remember last Sunday, his reward for acts of faith is the peace of God. His reward is strength. You grow stronger like a gymnast who's preparing for the Olympics. Every time you take that risk, every time you step out and do something you've never done before, something even beyond your comfort zone, or something that you may feel is, is uh, uh, unjust, meaning you, you, you were accused of something, and yet God says, you know what, I want you to love them anyhow. I want you to love them like I love you. Amen? John even says, Jesus said in the book of John, he says in John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believe in him, when you continue to embrace what I teach you, I prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it releases more freedom in your lives. 
If you, do you want to be free? Who wants to be free today? Then he says, I want you to embrace my word. What you hear me teaching you, what you hear me preaching to you, practice it. Do it. Just do it. And when you do it, you will feel ever-increasing freedom come into your life. In that same chapter, Jesus would go on to say, I speak the truth. When you sin, you are not free. In this case with James, when you keep showing partiality, when you discriminate, you're actually showing that you're not free. You're not walking in freedom. He says, but he says, you've become a slave in bondage to your sin. And slaves, get this, slaves have no permanent standing in the family. Like a son does. Slaves have no permanent standing in the family like the son does. For a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. For who the son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. And I love this part. That last part of that verse I read, it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, if you are practicing partiality, James calls it sin. What is sin? Sin is anything that goes against the character of God. It's unlike our Father. If we're doing something that Jesus wouldn't do, then that's sin. If we're doing, because keep in mind, when Jesus was on this earth, he wasn't committing sin and trying to figure out ways to get away with it. He was sinless. And so he tells us here, he says, the same things I did, you will do also. Meaning it's his desire that we live a sinless life. When we got saved and born again, the Bible says that power of sin was broken over our lives. We no longer owe anything to the devil. We no longer owe anything to that old life. We are free. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so he's saying, you can live in freedom. You're not bound to it. You're not obligated to it. You don't have to go back and apologize for it. You just live in freedom. And Jesus is telling us here, when we operate in that kind of freedom, we op therefore we operate in mercy, meaning uh, that we're, uh, in other words, that in our freedom, think about it this way, in our freedom, we are allowing other people to be free. In our freedom, you know, because when you get into a dispute, uh, it's interesting. I had this happen years ago. Uh, me and another individual got into a dispute, and they expected a certain response from me, and as a result of it, they responded a certain way. And, and, and one, one person, this has been years ago, but one person said, Terry, you're just trying to, and this is an old phrase, but he said, Terry, you're just trying to bust my chops. How many know what that means? <laughs> you're just trying to bust my chops. I said, why would I do that? Because in, if, I, if that is my motivation is just to make your life miserable, then what the Bible tells me, the things, what I sow, I'm going to reap. So if I sow judgment, I'm going to reap judgment. But if I sow mercy, I'm going to reap mercy. If I sow love, I'm going to reap love. If I sow generosity, I'm going to reap generosity. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, operate by the perfect law of liberty. And in that liberty, be generous with mercy. 
because it will overcome judgment. Number three, faith without works is like a body without a heartbeat. Faith without works is like a body without a heartbeat. He says in verse 14, my brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? It's kind of like buying a gym membership and never showing up to exercise. How many have gym memberships? We're going to tell on ourselves now. Club 24 and these other clubs are making millions of dollars a year by people who don't show up to the gym. They pay it, you know, that's why they give a free month. I got to notice free month gym membership in December and then for the kickoff in the new year. I didn't take advantage of it yet, but, you know, I didn't go to the gym yesterday and that makes about five years in a row. And so, but, you know, they, they make millions of dollars with the hope that, hey, you'll pay for it, but we don't expect to see you. You, you know, the, gym, the gyms are always crowded in January, right? And then as the year goes by, it gets less crowded. Like Roger said, there's more people down there running around the river right now than there ever has been leading up to this point. You know, and that's what it is when it comes to faith and works. Faith and works, is not a, they are not enemies. We, you may say, Pastor, I'm not going to earn my salvation. No. We don't work, our actions are not in hopes of getting saved or pleasing God in that way, but rather we work because we are saved. Because we are sons and daughters, we, the things that we do, we do naturally. Actions come by those who walk by faith. It says, how could this faith save anyone? Let me read that part again. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How can this kind of faith save anyone? It's not the works that save you, but rather it's, it's the debt manifestation of the faith that you have in God. For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you, and you say to them, goodbye, I hope you stay warm and have plenty to eat, but you don't provide for them with a coat or with a cup of soup, what good is your faith? Another version says, you know, be blessed, stay warm and well-fed. Words never fed anybody. Common words, I'm, I'm not talking about the word of God, but words do not put a coat on the back. Words do not, is not the same as a cup of soup. He says, so then faith doesn't involve Faith that doesn't involve any action is phony, fake, false. It's not real. As we lean into 2019, may this be a year of action. May this be a year where uh, not only do I profess, because really what it comes down, really what it's saying is this. When we say those things, um, James, the conclusion James makes, even in verse 17, is that faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It says it's according to self. In other words, it boils down to selfishness. In other words, we're only concerned about ourself making it to heaven. We're only concerned about our self needs being met. As long as I'm good and I got what I needed today, that's all that matters. James is saying that is faith without action. Does that make sense? I love a good church service. 
I love being in the presence of God. I love worshiping. I love feeling his presence, feeling his love, knowing his love. But, but James is saying here, the, flips, the flip side of that same coin is that there is a demonstration of it as well. There is an action that comes from it. Any man of God or woman of God that comes in the presence of God is like Isaiah, who heard the father say, who can we send? Who will go for us? Isaiah would say, here am I, send me. Give me the word. Give me the opportunity. Allow me to demonstrate your love to a lost and dying world. Amen? Verse 18 it even goes down to, let me just say it this way. Verse 19, it says, you can believe all you want that there is one true God, and that's wonderful, but even demons know this and tremble with fear before him, yet they are unchanged, they remain demons. Boy, James is really explicit, isn't he? He says, even demons believe. I hear a lot of people say, well, I believe in Jesus. Okay, demons believe too. But that doesn't change them. <laughs> that doesn't make a difference in their, in their future. They who were once in the very presence of God have been cast out because they did not truly believe. They did not take God at his word. Do you realize that one third of the heavenly host of angels were kicked out of heaven? All because they wanted to do it their way? All because they were selfish? They believed the lie of Lucifer? To say, hey, we can do it better. James is saying here, you can say you believe all you want, but even demons believe, but yet in their belief they shudder because they realize that eternity is awaiting them, that there is a judgment awaiting them. And so what is biblical faith anyway? It begins with God's, you know, it begins in the heart. There's that, there's that decision. Do you realize the word Repentance means this. When we talk about, James would tell this crowd of 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. He's, they said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. That was the first step. Repent literally means this. It means you're going in one direction. You're walking in your own, the light of your own will, your own way. You're going your direction, your way, doing it your own way. Singing the Frank Sinatra song all the while. I did it my way. And you make a decision, a mental ascent, and you say, you know what? I can't do it my way any longer. This way is giving me heartache. This way is giving me grief. There's hopelessness. There's despair. There's agony. There's all these things. I'm, I, I, I have no peace. I go to bed tired. I wake up tired. I, I have no joy. I have no, I have no hope for the future. And you make a decision, and you turn around and you begin to follow Jesus. That's what repentance is all about. So it begins with a, with, a, with a change of heart, change of mind. And then it graduates to a total commitment by faith. But then it culminates in this, a continuous obedience. In other words, that from that day forward, it's kind of like what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, In all your ways, obey him, and he will direct your path. Do you realize that every time you take a step, God gives you another revelation of who he is? He says, take another step, Terry. Okay, do this now. Take this step. Take this step. Every time you take a step, you may say, but Lord, it's looking risky. 
There's an edge here. I don't know if I want to go. I, that's, I don't know about the, It's the unknown. But God says here, if you would just commit to obedience. The word obey means literally to listen and to do. If he says, if you do it, he says, I will direct your path. Jesus would even say it to his disciples. He would tell us that true obedience reflects true friendship. John chapter 15 says, verse 14, he says, you show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I've commanded you. If you want to be friends with God, in fact, he refers to it here in James, if you want to be his friend, he says, then obey. We see two characters as the worship team comes up. We see two characters at the end of this chapter. We see Abraham, and we see a woman named Rahab. Abraham was a famous forefather in the faith. And the Bible says that, his, that, that God counted or credited to him righteousness. Why? Because he was obedient. He took steps of faith. He would be considered that honorable one, the one that we would honor. But then there was a woman named Rahab. How many of you heard the story about Rahab? In the Old Testament, there was a city called Jericho, and the Israelites were coming against the city. And the word says she, lit, she had an, an apartment or had a, it literally means she had a hotel or rooms that she rented out, but James calls her a prostitute as well. And she was living on the wall. And the word says that uh, she took in the spies. Israel sent in a couple spies to check out Jericho. And she said, come and hide here. And she asked them, she says, when you do come in, we've heard about you far and wide. When you do come in, can, can my household be saved? And they said, yes, it can. They said, drop a red cord near your door. And he says, and when we come in, your house will be saved. Rahab was, in essence, a single, probably a single mother. She would have been the last person that anyone would have considered. If you were to look at the city of Jericho at large and say, who should we save? She probably wouldn't even hit the list. She probably would have been that, that one that you look at when they, you know, like someone walking into church today that looks like they don't have anything together. That looks like their life is a wreck. That looks like uh, they, 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 you know, they're living day to day. Nothing's going well for them. As James started out this same chapter, he says, we need to love everybody the same. God loved Rahab. And we see here that it was by her act of faith and her action, what was she doing? She was responding to the love of God, responding to his grace. And as a result, she had a door of opportunity. She came to know this family of God. In fact, she went on to become part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of her act of faith. Abraham would be the honorable one. We could say, yeah, he's a good guy. We respect him. But then you got Rahab. The same faith that it took for Abraham is the same faith it took for Rahab. When we see people in our city, we want to see everybody saved. 
We want to see everybody delivered. We want to see everybody restored, whether they be the most honorable people or the most, or the individual that seems dishonorable, meaning they don't have it together. Or they might look different than us or talk different than us or have a different lifestyle than us. James says here, faith plays no favorites. Why? Because eternity's at stake. When we're in the presence of God, we're all the same. We all come to salvation the same way. There's not a rich man's way of salvation versus a poor man. There's not a white salvation versus a black salvation. We all come via Jesus Christ, who practices the perfect law of liberty. 